Welcome to the Chat GPT Report. I'm your host, Ryan, and we have a very special guest with us today. His name is Ahmed Rashad, and he's a formal, former Oracle Scale AI head of ops and Amazon head of product, and currently the CEO and founder of Sapien, which is a two-sided marketplace for data set labeling. Now, Sapien helps organizations prepare data for AI training. Let's dive in to what Sapien is and how they can change the market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ahmed, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. How are we doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, like I tell the audience, we try and keep these interviews within 20 minutes. So why don't we go ahead and begin? And let's lay it up with just a softball question. You know, being from some of these bigger companies out there, Oracles, the Amazons, what was your favorite product you worked on in your career? Oh yeah, there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a whole long list, but I guess one of my favorites was um, a product that forecasts exceptional demand, outlier demand, demand that doesn't happen quite often during the holiday season and exceptional events. It was just a, a whole lot of variability on top of a whole lot of variability, and <laughs> no one had any clue what we were doing, but we just kept going along, and we finally cracked it. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Now, so dive into that a little bit more. So like, were you, were you doing for the forecasting for like a uh, particular Thanksgiving or was it, you know, are we talking Christmas time or what was it just basically any holiday that was kind of the forecasting you guys were looking at? Basically the very exceptional time. So Thanksgiving, uh, New Year's, uh, Father's Day and uh, all the products that didn't behave the way they usually do during those events. Um, so that's, that's what we were trying to predict. We're trying to forecast unforecastable. Very cool. Very cool. Now, obviously that was one that was fun. You could enjoy, but you know, what was your least favorite? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, Did, you, guess, you, there, should, there, there could be a lot of them. <laughs> there, there, there could be, there could be a handful. <laughs> well, in general, I try to enjoy what I do, but uh, the, the first, I guess the first one, the first time I ever did uh, an M&A, the first time I ever worked with M&A, I was in McKinsey at the time, and it was just a whole new thing. And I, I, uh, I, I always kept going back to me, like, we need to assess this company really quickly. We need to assess the situation really quickly. And uh, it just kept eating at me because I wanted more time because I wanted to be more precise. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was very difficult, but uh, it was very difficult. It was very painful. But I learned how to get most of the value, most of the value from the analysis really, really quickly. 
okay. without having to do the whole thing. Right. Okay. Very good. So was, you, they were telling you to do like a big picture type of thing and you're like, well, I want to make sure everything's perfect. And, uh, who's moving too fast. Yeah. On there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I had the partner on the breathing down my neck. It's like, it needs to be done now. Yep. But I'm not done yet. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, I gotta get this done before the weekend. So you're going to have to work into the weekend type of thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Now, so now you're the currently, you know, the CEO and, and head of Sapien. And I'd like to dive into that a little bit more here. You know, give me the elevator pitch for Sapien and why did you find this company? And remember, I'm not a coder, so middle school verbiage would be very helpful right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and frankly, this is this is part of our, uh, this is part of why we found the Sapien because the the, the data labeling industry. First, you need data labeling because you, for AI to work, you need human first to tell it uh, over and over again. This, what is what is what? You need to tell it. This is a cat. This is a dog. This is a good answer. This is a date, and so on. And the problem with the industry is that uh, the types of tasks the industry got too complicated, and the tasks got very very complicated, which means that things are getting more expensive. They're getting very difficult to do, and they're getting very very difficult to scale. So what we're doing with Sapien is actually bringing things back to basics. We're breaking down the tasks. We're making them very simple again. And then while doing that, we, we can now scale. We can reduce costs. We can increase quality. We can do all of these beautiful things with the purpose of accelerating the development of AI applications uh, for, for the next wave. Because mm-hmm. without data labeling, uh, a lot of the AI applications will not work. And this is this is the bottleneck now and we're solving that bottleneck. Okay. Very interesting. Now how now how is AI helping on the back end with Sapien? Like uh I, like I said, don't use too hard a verbiage on me, but how is it uh, streamlining y'all's processes with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On on I'm actually I'm actually three fronts. So the first front is because we break down the task so much, all of a sudden Many components of the tasks that are broken down can now be done with AI. And this is we develop AI to actually label and do those components. Uh, the second, the second part that we use AI for is actually to assess the quality of the uh, of the output that uh, that the people provide. And uh, it, it's not, it doesn't tell me exactly if something's right or wrong. It tells me if something is probably right or probably wrong, and then I can go and verify. And the third part is because people can do there's a whole lot of different tasks. So we use AI actually to optimize uh, the sequence of tasks that a person gets to make sure that they're engaged, that they're happy, that they're not fatigued, that they don't get too bored. So we use AI to actually distribute the work in a way that is that's good for everyone. Okay. Yeah, and it, it kind of makes sense too because I feel like you're getting such large data sets that you can crunch it quicker with AI and, and understand what you're looking at a little bit faster with that. Um, and and with that, you know, with AI and LLMs in full swing, how do you guys at Sapien protect yourself from the chat GPTs of the world, particularly their most recent unveiling of GPT agents from affecting uh, your company and, and what they do, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so actually, <laughs> the, the most recent developments in LLMs have been good to us uh, because they, they would use the barriers to entry for people to create models and GPTs. And, and this means that there's a lot of, whole lot of new models and a whole lot of new data to be labeled. So that helped a lot. Uh, and on the other end, 
uh, with the new models and the new LMs, they are able to label a lot of the data, uh, a lot of the data, which leaves more and more data left unlabeled that is complex. And complex data is where we shine. Complex data is where we really do well. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Can you elaborate more on the like the type of complex data you guys are looking at? I know you had mentioned, um, you know, you're assessing quality, optimizing it, but w- w- can you elaborate on that for us a little bit more? Yeah, there are there are many examples actually across across the industry, but uh, a couple of, a couple of my favorites, the ones that were really dear to my heart. One is actually a forecasting. Uh, okay. <laughs> there you go. All right, we're right back to the front. Again. <laughs> <laughs> it all it always comes back to it, right? Yep. <laughs> Um, so, so for this customer specifically, they, they want to look at social media posts and uh, detect uh, trends in clothing and fashion so that they can predict what future trends are going to be. So that way they can advise their customers on, I think you should get more blue tank tops. I think you should uh, go more with uh, casual chic in the next few months and so on and so forth. So as you can imagine, the, the, the task itself is complex because you need people who are experienced and fashionistas, basically, in the industry, who understand what type of style this is, who understand whether this is something exceptional or something that's going to pick up, and so on. Mm-hmm. So you need people who truly understand fashion, and the, um, the, the added complexity of it is fashion, in a lot of ways, is kind of localized. So... Uh, so, for example, if, if a uh, pop star in Korea starts dressing in a certain way, that might pick up fashion, but only for the people who follow that person, not for everyone. While someone who's international, their trends might start impacting everyone globally. So, so you need someone who truly, truly understands the industry to be able to tell you uh, whether this is a uh, whether this is a trend or not. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I liked your uh, example. Another example that's yeah, easier to explain is actually in detecting pancreatic cancer. So, <laughs> so that's easier to explain, way more difficult to do. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, because like you said, it's localized too. Like it's if you have a pop star in a certain country, they are, you know, they'll get their followers to look at something, but it won't affect an international market on that end of things. Fascinating. Okay. And then, you know, I, I, I had to ask this as well because, you know, we talked a little bit about Sapien and, 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 uh, and we talk a lot about our accolades, right, things that we're good at. But, you know, I just to kind of open it up a little bit, you know, what is probably one of your bigger <laughs> failures in your career that you had, you know, like, and, and that you learned from that you said, hey, I won't make that again. Or what, was, what, what lesson did I learn from that? You know, we're all human here. Oh boy, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the way I think about it and the way I set it up with my teams in general is we are a startup, right? We are trying to build something that is, that is exceptional and doesn't have the right to exist. It is the anomaly. So with that sense, we have to be playing offense, not defense. When you're playing defense, you count how many goals get scored against you. When you're playing offense, you count how many goals you score. So with that in mind, uh, we actually make more mistakes than we get things right. But it doesn't matter as long as we don't repeat the same mistake again and as long as the mistake wasn't done because you were careless or didn't think about it. So we made a lot of mistakes. One of the mistakes I remember, and I made this, I made this mistake actually in two forms. When I first became a manager, 
And uh, of course, uh, the typical first-time manager mistake, I tried to do everything myself, and of course, it didn't work. So I overcorrected, and I started out, I basically started just like directing the work, and I started getting disconnected, and I didn't know what was going on, and it didn't work that well. And, and it took a while to actually learn and find here that balance between what do I outsource and what do I not? And if I outsource something, uh, I still own it, I'm still responsible for it, but how do I outsource it while making sure that uh, making sure that the work gets done properly? Uh, and at the same time, unlocking the capabilities of people versus trying to just have this as an extension of myself. And it took a while to get to that balance. It's actually a series of mistakes and tweaks and overcorrections. And, and frankly, I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes and I'm still learning from them. Absolutely. I, I like that answer, especially the offense, uh, not defense type of mentality. Because if you've ever watched a soccer game or anything like that, you'll notice that on offense, they're constantly making mistakes, right? Because it's they're trying new stuff or they're pushing the boundaries of trying to get, you know, to score a goal or, or to get more points. So I, I, I really liked what you said there. I really did. Uh, that's, that's very good. Well, Ahmed, like I said, we'll keep it nice and tight. Had a couple questions there. I really appreciate you coming on today, and I am very pleased with the answers we got here today. Guys, remember to check it out. That's Sapien, all right? Now, Ahmed, thank you again. I hope you have a great rest of your day, all right? Thank you very much.